Well, church, it's been an incredible morning to be reminded of what God is doing in our midst, to see the tangible expression of of witness and worship that has been on display here today is a tremendous blessing. So we are grateful, grateful to share this time together and believe that God has something very, very specific in store for each of us as we turn to his word and as we continue to hear a story of God's faithfulness this morning. Today is gonna be a little different as we step into this message and I'll explain that more in just a moment, but we are preparing our hearts for the Lord's Supper. You can see around the room, there, there are tables with the elements of the Lord's Supper, and we'll be going to those tables in, in a few moments together. But we, we first want to step into the Word of God, and we want to share with you a story of God's faithfulness today. So I, I want to ask you, if you would, grab a Bible, grab your Bible or a Bible in the backs of the seats around you, or pull up your Bible app on the phone, whatever you, you choose to do here today. But look at the Word of God with me in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. We've been walking through a series in 1 Peter over, over many weeks here this year at Shades. And we want to step back into a passage of Scripture that we actually looked at a couple of weeks ago. And I'll explain to you why in just a moment. This is 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 13. And I'd like, if you're willing and able, to stand with me as we do each week for the reading of God's Word. As you stand around the room, if you're new to Shades, you may be wondering why are they doing this? But we, we believe that the Word of God is our authority. And we believe that the Word of God is the foundation underneath the feet of the people of God. So we stand to be reminded of this solid rock foundation on which the church of Jesus Christ has been built, the Word of God. And we are reminded that when we turn to the Word of God, God reveals to us what he says is right and good and true. Listen to what the word of God says, 1 Peter 3. Again, this will be a review for some of us who, who walked through this text a couple of weeks ago, verse 13 and following. It says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me that God uses this time to speak into our lives what he knows we need to hear? And then we'll be seated together. Let's pray. Father, we, we stand before you now at the reading of your word. We, we, we are reminded of the words that have just been sung all around this room, that you are worthy, worthy of it all. And through your word, you, you reveal to us even more of, of who you are. You reveal to us even more how much we need you. And you reveal to us even more what you have done to meet us in our need. And so to that, Lord, we praise you. And we pray that you would use this day to speak into our lives. You know what we're walking through. You know what we're experiencing. Lord, you know what we need right now. I pray in the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak into our lives and that we would not be the same. 
as a result of that which you say. Have your way, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. So I want you to know that when we left here last Sunday and then began a new week this past Monday, I had every intention of standing up before you and continuing in our series, walking verse by verse through the book of 1 Peter. We were going to start 1 Peter chapter 4 today, but that's going to happen next week now, at least if the Lord wills. We're actually going to do something a little bit different. We're calling a little bit of an audible. And the reason why we're doing this is because from time to time, there are things that happen, there are things that are experienced by people in the body of Christ, in the church, that that can only be described as a divine disruption, a Holy Spirit moment. And we have encountered that here over the last week at Shades. Our, Our staff team has had the privilege of hearing of a story of what God did through a group of men that were sent out by shades on a short-term mission trip to Nepal. And as we've heard this story, the, the passage that we just read in 1 Peter just kept leaping off the page at me. Here is an example of a group of guys who have said, okay, we're, we believe there's no reason to fear. We're going to go to a place that's difficult to get to. We're going to be ready to boldly share of the hope that we have. We're going to be prepared as we go to give an account for the hope that we have. And we're going to seek to do everything we can through the love of Christ to share the good news with some people who have never heard. A couple weeks ago, we, we commissioned this team of five to leave our church and to go on this short-term trip to Nepal. And as they've gotten back and shared stories with our staff team and then shared some stories with our, our deacon team that had a meeting this week, I just begin to sense and we begin to sense this is a story that needs to be shared with the whole church. And so I, I just want you to know today, I believe you're going to be encouraged, but I also believe you're going to be challenged. Because we have a living example of some, some men in our church who took a bold step of faith who went to a very risky place, encountered some challenges along the way and saw a move of God in an incredible, incredible fashion. And so I want to bring up Jeremy Horton, who's our family pastor. He's a member of our executive staff team. He's going to help share this story because Jeremy led this trip to Nepal. Would y'all welcome Jeremy up here with me? We're grateful for you. Thankful for you, bro. Excited for this story to be told. And just as we get started here, would you just kind of give us the context? Who who was it that went with you to Nepal? Why did y'all go to Nepal? What did you think you were going to see? What did you know before you went on this trip? Just kind of set the stage for us uh, of what took place to to get you into this spot on this trip. Yeah, well, it was a day in Josh Clark's office. He was telling me of some (laughs) leaders he needed for some mission trips that we were doing. And he mentioned that there was this trip that he wasn't going to be able to find any kind of leader for because it was going to be hard. And I said, well, 
what kind of trip is that? And he said, it's a trip to Nepal. We're going to go backpacking into the mountains. And that's all I needed to hear after that, (laughs) because I love to go camping. I love to go backpacking into the mountains. There were five of us men who went on the trip. Cole Burns is a grad student at UAB. My brother, Jake, uh, went on the trip with us. Donald Wood went on the trip with us. And then Ronald Robinson. Those were uh, the five guys who went on the trip to Nepal, and we really didn't know what we were getting ourselves into, um, but we knew two things about this trip that we were told on the front end. The first was we need to be ready to walk a lot, and we needed to be ready to share the gospel. Every single one of us individually needed to be ready to share the gospel. Now, as we learned a little bit more about what our partners are doing there in Nepal, there's a church planning movement among Nepalese pastors in Nepal and they really form their strategy for church planting based on a passage from Mark chapter four. And I wanna share that passage with you this morning to get a little bit of an idea of how they are envisaging reaching people in Nepal. And so this is from Mark chapter four, 26 through 30. It says this, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts his sickle in the ground because the harvest has come. When we think about the way that these Nepalese pastors are trying to reach the country of Nepal, they're thinking of kind of four strategic ways they're doing this. The first is to cast the seed to go and to find villages, find places where the gospel has not been shared and to take the gospel there and to share it. The second is to harvest whatever grain has already grown. The Lord has often gone before them or people hear the gospel for the first time and they wanna harvest that grain. They wanna plant churches. They They wanna put a church in every village there so that the gospel can spread more widely and have deep roots. And they wanna see those churches become healthy, thriving churches in all of these communities. And so our goal as a team was to cast the seed and to harvest the grain. So we were really on the front end of several places they had identified that they didn't know if the gospel had been there. They didn't know if there was a church there. And so we were ready going in to do that. It's it's a pretty epic adventure. I mean, hiking in the Himalayas to share the gospel is a pretty incredible thing to consider, but that's not an easy thing to consider. And I know you're going to share more about that story, but before we even get into the story of some of the things you encountered, I'd just love for you to give an overview of of what happened in the week that y'all were hiking through these villages, hiking through the mountains, and and having the opportunity to share the good news of the gospel. What, What took place? So what we would do is we would get to a village and we would split up two by two with a translator. And our goal was to engage someone, to sit on their porch, and to share the gospel. It was very, very simple. And so in, that, in those five days that we walked through the mountains of Nepal, we were able to share the gospel with 292 people. Um, and those were individual conversations. Uh, the majority of them happened on a porch with one or two or three people. And we were uh, sharing our story and listening and, and witnessing to those people. Of those 292 people, 54 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Oh, man. Walking through, yeah. Praise the Lord. This is even more amazing, church, of those 54 people that gave their lives to Christ, 30 of them had never heard the gospel. They had never heard the good news of Jesus. And when they heard it, they gave their lives to Jesus. Of those 292 people, only five vehemently opposed our message. 
only five of them sent us away. Yeah. It was incredible, the receptivity, the readiness that God had already prepared in their hearts to receive the gospel. So, so give us an example. I know there are so many stories, um, but, but how, did this, how did this play out? How did this happen? You, you're just walking along, you come into a village, you, you see some, some people. I mean, just give us an example of how that took place. Yeah, so on day three, I was paired up with our team leader, Monique, and we came to the first house in this village as we began to walk. We had our packs on our backs, and we found this house. We're going to put a picture here on the screen where the doors were open, and on the left side of this picture right here, uh, you can see a bed right there. This man was asleep in his bed. So he's sleeping in his bed. The door is open, and the translator, Monique, walks to the door, and he bangs on the door, okay? He bangs on the door, and he says, wake up wake up, we have a story we have to share with you. And so the man got up and he sat on this chair right here on the front porch of his house and we began to share the gospel. We began to share the story of how God had changed my life. And I, I was looking at this man while I was sharing. He had big bags under his eyes. His hair was straight up, you know. Um, if he's anything like me, when I first wake up, he only heard half of what I said. That's what <laughs> I was thinking in my mind. But slowly and surely, he seemed to kind of lean forward on every word that we were sharing. And he leaned forward. And as I got to the moment where I said, and Jesus Christ hasn't just died for me, but he's died for you. And his resurrection is hope for you as well. His eyes began to well up. And then he began to weep. And he had never heard the story of the good news before. And because we had knocked on this door and woke this man up, he placed his faith in Jesus right here on this porch. And he held his hands open and he said, I want to trust in Jesus. And he stood up and we prayed with him and he, he came into the kingdom. It's so that's incredible. just an example. It's incredible. And you can't be the same after that. Absolutely amazing. So I'd love for you to take a moment before we go any further in this story and talk any more about the trip and, and talk about really what you mean when you say you shared the gospel this many times with this many people. Because I, I know it can be overwhelming and sometimes very intimidating, maybe even fear-inducing to go, oh, I need to share the gospel. I'm supposed to, to talk about Jesus. How do I do that? What, what is that like? But the, the Lord gave y'all a very clear path in how to prepare for this and how to be ready to have these conversations. And I think it'd be a great encouragement to, to the folks here at Shades to hear, what does that mean as you're preparing to go to do this trip how did you prepare to share the gospel? Show, just share with us what that's all about. Yeah, so we focus our preparation on a tool called the three circles. You may have heard this tool before. You can actually literally download it to your phone. And it is a tool that just walks through the basics of the gospel story of what Jesus has done, why he needed to do it, and what he offers in return. But we didn't just familiarize ourselves with the tool because we knew that the power in the gospel message is what Jesus has done for us. It's our own story. And so we use the tool to make sure that we were hitting all the most important pieces of the gospel, but then we practice what it looked like to weave our story into this tool. And we're gonna put a picture of the tool up here on the screen. There were three places in the tool where we would basically enter in and kind of share the way that Jesus had done that thing or done that uh, rescuing in our own lives. The first was when we got to the moment of brokenness. Uh, we would share the ways that our lives were broken before Jesus, the things we were running after that never fulfilled us, the things that we were trying to, to achieve in our lives that fell short, the ways that we were sinning. 
and we would share the way that then Jesus would step into that moment. When we shared the cross and what Jesus had done on the cross and through his resurrection, we would share the moment that we gave our lives to Christ, that our eyes were opened and we saw what Jesus had done to save us from our brokenness. And then when we got to the moment about recovering and pursuing, we talked about how our lives were different now, how Jesus had changed what we, what we love, how Jesus had changed the way we live in, in today and, and for the future, and that our lives were characterized by joy and peace because what he had done on the cross. So we wove our story together, and it, and it took practice. We would meet up here at the church, and one of us would say, okay, I'm a Nepalese man share the gospel with me. And so we would just start practicing sharing the gospel and we were ruthless with each other. We would ask brutal questions and, uh, and we really tried to lean into what this looked like so that when we stepped foot on that first porch, we were ready. That's good. Well, Jeremy, a couple things as I've heard you talk about this and even just describing the three circles and, and training, a couple things that stand out to me that are just so beautiful in the way the gospel was shared through your group and the way you continue to talk about sharing the gospel. Number one is just the simplicity of sharing your story. You know, I'm reminded of this often. People, people can get all bent out of shape talking about religion and, and, and talking about faith and, and having questions about theology and all these, these are very important conversations, by the way, but, but people can start arguments about the, the things that we believe and, and the theology that we hold to. There's one thing though that no one can argue with, and that's our personal experience of what Jesus has done for us. The gospel story in our story, changing our story. And so as you share your simple story, you're, you're sharing something beautiful that, that no one can refute or argue with and that people honestly many times want to hear. I wanna hear about the change that happened. I wanna hear about something redemptive. I wanna hear about how you have hope. You're always being prepared to give an, an, an account of the hope that you have. And the, that's the second part here for me that stands out is the preparation. And that's so important. Because we talk a lot about sharing the gospel. We talk a lot about leveraging our lives with the good news, taking the good news to people. But many times we go out and we're really not prepared. We haven't thought about what we might say. We haven't thought about what if I do get an opportunity to give an account for the hope that I have. And the way y'all prepared and practiced is so beautiful. You know, if, if a student has a test, you're going to study. If you've got a presentation at work, you're going to study. You're going to be prepared for the things that matter. And this is the most important thing. And we as the people of God need to think about how would we share our story? How, how can we be ready to give an account for the hope that we have? So thank you for that example. And, and I just want to say, I, I know as we continue to talk about this story, you got some more that you want to share, but there is no question in my mind, just being around you this past week, you're a different person. And we loved the Jeremy before Nepal. It's unbelievable the way God's been working in your life and using your life in incredible ways, but there's no question you're a different person because of this experience. And so I'd love for you to share a little bit about that. What are, what are some of the things that have really just been illuminated for you through this trip, through this experience? What are some of the takeaways that God is, is really bringing to light in your life? Well, the Lord is certainly still working on my heart. I feel, feel him reveal something new to me every day, but there are some 
pretty key takeaways that I wrote down uh, kind of on our last car ride there as we were getting ready to go to the airport. I want to share those uh, with you guys this morning. The first is that discipleship uh, always includes evangelism. There is no form of discipleship in which we don't share the gospel. Uh, we were with uh, a group of men walking through these, they call them hills, they're really mountains. Uh, we were walking through these mountains together, and they were ages about 20 through 45, so not a massive age gap in the men that we were walking with. You'll see a picture of them here on the screen. But what you do see in this picture is four generations of disciples and disciples. Among this group of guys, each one of them would say, hey, this man is my disciple, or I am discipling this man. And so as we walked along the trail, I saw their passion and their zeal and their excitement to share the gospel and to want it to be known in Nepal. I asked our leader, Monique, what, what are you doing with these guys? Like, how are they catching a hold of this? What's your strategy? You know, like, what, how are you approaching this? What books are you reading? And he kind of looked at me funny. And he was like, what do you mean? And I said, what you, well, like, what are you doing to get these guys so excited about the gospel? He said, brother, we walk the mountains together. We go to these places where the gospel has never been, and we make sure people know. And as we walk along the way, we encourage one another. We build one another up. And then we remind each other of the mission. And I was reminded that we can so easily complicate things. We can try to separate evangelism and discipleship like they're two totally different callings. But the reality is that sharing the gospel is the most basic part of following Jesus. Right. It's the most basic part of belonging to Jesus, that the gospel came to you, and now you can take the gospel forward. And so it was a massive takeaway for me to see the way that they just took the gospel together and the maturity of faith and the excitement for the gospel and the faithfulness of these men. They're my heroes. It's awesome. Yeah. As, as I've heard you say, say, share that, Jeremy, I'm reminded just of the, the beauty of the Great Commission and how we are called to, to go. We are called to, to make disciples. We are called to teach. But the actual translation there of, of go is as you are going. As we are living our lives as a follower of Jesus, we're to be inviting others to walk with us, to learn from us, to hear the good news, and to, to, to grow as we go. Disciples making disciples. And, and really, I mean, we talked about this in the last service. If, if you're a disciple who's not making disciples, the question is, are you really a disciple? Because discipleship and, and evangelism, they're always hand in hand. You cannot separate them. What an incredible reminder. It's a beautiful picture of those four generations. That's really, really cool. What, what else stands out to you? What, what are some other things you're learning? I learned in a real and tangible way uh, that the brotherhood and the sisterhood uh, of the gospel is real, and it is so, so needed. Uh, there was one morning where we ended up having to hike a lot further than we originally had planned. Uh, what was supposed to be about a five-mile hike turned into about a 10-hour, 16-mile hike. Uh, and so we needed to go ahead and we needed to hike from this village up and over a mountain uh, and down the other side into a valley where we were going to stay the night in a church uh, just down and away from kind of the mountain foothills. And so it, it was hard. It was hot. Uh, there was... There were bugs everywhere. We're hiking the side of this 6,000-foot mountain 
and we're just all feeling it. We're feeling exhausted, we're feeling tired. We get to the top of the mountain and we're up above the clouds. So the clouds surrounding the mountain and we're pulling leeches off of our legs and it's just like the emotional high. I mean, we were like at our max capacity, okay? At our max capacity. And so we kind of come down and we're ready to get off this mountain. We're ready to get away from the bugs. We can't quite see the bottom. And as we're coming around this corner, I hear one of our leaders yell, stop, everyone stop. So we all stop on the trail. And our leader, Monique, turns around, he comes up the hill and he says, the trail has been washed away. There's no trail. And so uh, just to give you a little bit of a picture of what this was like, there's a short video they're going to show on the screen of this cliff where the trail had washed away. And so what you see with those rocks falling right there is Monique leaned in and he said, some of our guys are on the side of the cliff. They're going to cut out a trail in the cliff for you guys. And so we're standing at the top of this, this path. I'm looking down at that, looking down at the bottom and fear begins to well up in my heart. And I'm like, are we really going to do this? Is this really the only way? We couldn't go back. We're standing on the side of this cliff and I begin to think about the men standing next to me. What was I gonna tell their wives if they slipped? What was I gonna tell them if they fell into this ravine and we could never recover their bodies? And so as they're chilling, tilling the side of the trail away, I'm trying to pray, but I'm just feeling my heart rate rise. I'm getting nervous. Monique comes up the trail, he gathers us together and he leans in with his finger like this and he says, you do everything I say or you're going to die. Hmm. And the weight just came over us. And so I I just began to think we can't do, I mean, my heart's racing. I'm like wondering, what are we going to do? And in this very moment, right before Monique was about to walk me down for my turn to scale the the side of this cliff, uh, another brother right here to my right, Benute, grabbed my arm and he said, brother Jeremy, the Lord is your shield and your strength. Of whom shall you be afraid? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. For if the Lord is for you, who can be against you? And he begins to speak scripture over us. And in this moment, I felt the fear drain from my body. And I realized, you know, if I die on the side of this cliff, is there anything else worth dying for than this? Hmm. Than taking the gospel to these people who had never heard it before. And he grabbed my wrist and he turned me around and one at a time... He put our hands and our feet in these holes and we scaled the side of this cliff and all five of us made it down to safety. And I was reminded in that moment that when I didn't have enough faith, my brother gave me some of his. That's good. Shoulder to shoulder on the cliff. I borrowed his faith to be reminded of why we were there, why we were on the side of that mountain. Mm -hmm. And it's a reminder for us that the brothers and sisters sitting next to you in this room right now. That's good are given to you by God, that no matter what you are walking through this morning, that you can lean on your brother, you can lean on your sister when you feel like you can't take another step of faith. God has given you a family to lean on. And that's never been more real than in that moment. Brother, that'll preach right there. That's really, really good. And I, I'm just reminded as you're saying this, that the, the Christian life was never intended to be lived alone. 
That's why the terms for, for the church in, in the word of God talk about family, talk about body. We're connected to one another. We need one another. Brothers and sisters. I mean, that what a beautiful term, brothers and sisters in a family. And we need that. And when we're in isolation or when we're alone, that's when the enemy loves to have a heyday in our life. We need one another. Man, what an encouragement. What a great example. That's really, really powerful. All right, give us, give us something else. Give, uh, we, we need to hear one or two more before we, uh, before we break. What, what, do you, what do you got? There's so much work still to be done hmm, for the true. sake of the gospel in our city and around the world. They're going to put a picture of a village up here on the screen. This village was a village that they had never been to before. It was on the side of this cliff, and there was a long road that kind of wove down on the right-hand side into this village, hundreds of people living in this village. And as we walked into this village two by two and began to share the gospel, it became clear really evidently that the gospel had literally never been on the side of this mountain, Mm -hmm. that not a single person we shared with that day had ever heard the name of Jesus. And in this village alone, almost 30 people came to Christ in one single day. Unbelievable. They had never, yeah. So good. They had never heard the gospel. I don't know if you know this, but 98% of Asia is still unreached. Hmm. Only 1.7% of Nepal is a believing Christian. The work is there and it is urgent and people are living, generations have lived and died in that village and never heard the hope of the gospel. Hmm. We have to do something about it. We have to take a step and share the good news that we have because it really is good news. There was a family when we walked into this village and a man standing on the side of the road, and we said, hey, can we share, the, can we share a story with you? And we sat on his porch, and he grabbed his, his son, and he grabbed his parents, and he sat on this porch, and we shared the gospel with him. And the same thing began to happen. He began to get emotional. He began to be moved. And as I leaned in and said, have you heard this before? Have you trusted in Jesus? Do you know Jesus? He said, why has no one ever told us this before? Why have we never heard this story And we said, this is why we're here to tell you. And all four of them, three generations, put their faith in Christ. That day, the woman said, if this is the one true God, then I will worship no other gods. I will only worship Jesus. It was a beautiful picture that that there's an urgency to the work that Mm. needs to be done. Why has no one ever told us this? What a question. Hmm. You know, as I've heard you sharing this story now several times, I have heard you talk about this urgency. I've heard you talk about opportunity. And one of the things that stands out to me is how you you have said on a couple of occasions, the good news really is still good news. And those who are lost and those who are hurting and those who have no hope or those who, those who have been trying to find something to provide meaning in their life, when they hear good news, it's still good news. And that's been such a beautiful reminder because we live in a culture and in a time where much of the conversation around sharing the gospel is more around like, oh, the gospel's so offensive. 
And how can we share this in such a way that we don't hurt people's feelings or offend people? And the reality is, yeah, the gospel is offensive at times. And the gospel might hurt somebody's feelings at times. But the gospel is good news. It's good news. And desperate people need good news. And broken people need good news. And lost people need good news. And hurting people need good news. And I've just been so encouraged by what you've shared reminding us uh, of those who have never heard good news, when they hear good news, it, it changes everything. Good news still provides hope. Good news is still what we need. Man, that's so powerful. So powerful. What else, what else can you share with us before we, we prepare for the Lord's Supper? I would like to, uh, to share that the harvest is plentiful and it is incredibly urgent. Uh, you heard some of these numbers that we shared, but we experienced something I never thought I would experience in my life on Thursday morning. We woke up in the morning. We were in a village that we would plan to walk and share the gospel with that day. And I went outside to read my Bible. And as I was sitting out reading my Bible, a man walked by with his phone and he was videoing me. And so I began to wonder, okay, that, that was interesting. I wonder what he's doing. We noticed another man who's kind of standing by taking notes. In the country of Nepal, it's not illegal to be a Christian but it is illegal to share the gospel, to try to win someone over uh, to Jesus. And so these men, as I learned later on in the morning, had followed us from a previous village where we were sharing the gospel. And they began to record and take notes of the things that we were doing. And so for the first time ever in my life, our leader called me into a room and we shut the door. And together we sat there for about five or 10 minutes and they were whispering to each other in Nepali. And I didn't know what was going on, but the demeanor of their whole attitudes had changed. And after about 10 minutes of exchange in that room, quietly kind of whispering, uh, the leader, Monique, leaned over to me, said, Pastor Jeremy, we've been followed. People are recording what we're doing. I need you to get your team, pack your bags. We're leaving right now. So we get the team together, we pack our bags. As we're packing our bags, I come back over to Monique. I'm asking him like what the situation looks like. He says, a pastor in a village, two villages next to ours, had been tied up, his face had been painted black, and he had been thrown into a closet and the police were coming to get him. And word had spread that we were sharing the gospel in the same way that this pastor was sharing the gospel. So we put our packs on, we lock them up and we begin to walk on the trail. And the two villages that we had planned to stop by that day, we were not welcome in anymore. In fact, that was the day we had to walk 10 hours because for the first time in my entire life, because I had shared the gospel, somebody wanted to get, get us out and get, get us away from mm, those people we were sharing that hope mm. with. And as we we're walking on the trail, I was trying to make sense of this. And our leader, he told me, man, Jeremy, this is why we have to share the gospel because the door will not always be open. Mm. The opportunity will not always be there. And if we wait, we could miss it. Mm. We could miss it. And I felt the Lord pressing on my heart, even with what Pastor George has already shared this morning about the way our culture is headed and the things that we are facing. And even though we have such great freedoms here, we don't know if that door will always be open. And if we wait, we could miss it. We could miss it. I was reminded of how glorious the freedom is that we have here right. and the opportunity that God That's has right. given us. And how easy it is for us to just take that for granted. That's right. And yet God has called us to, to leverage who we are and what we've been given for the sake of the gospel while that door is open. Man, that's good. 
Well, Jeremy, you've, you've shared just, I know, just a fraction of what y'all encountered. And there's been some, some pretty exciting things and some pretty nerve-wracking things in the midst of that story, climbing down a sheer rock face, 6,000 feet, and, and having to leave, leave a, a village very quickly because of, of people that were wanting to persecute believers. Those are hard things to think about. And yet I know as we've talked about this, there, there's, there's one other thing that you're going to share here that's going to be really challenging for the church to hear. And, and church, I just ask that you lean in here because this is really, really important. So would you would just give that final thought and then we're going to go to the Lord's Supper. Church, I want to tell you that the risk is worth it. Pulling leeches off my body, being pushed to the end of physical exhaustion, Climbing over literal mountains, riding in the back of the truck on the side of a cliff where the rain had washed a road away. All of the different things we faced, being chased out of a village. I've grown up in, in and around the church my whole life. I've heard people tell me that it's worth it to take a risk for Jesus. I've been in ministry for 10 years now, and I've told many of you that it's worth it to take a risk for Jesus. And I realized for the first time last week that I had never really taken a risk for Jesus. But now that I've experienced what it was like to walk in the mountains of Nepal, can I just tell you, it's worth the risk. It is worth the risk to put it all on the line for the sake of the gospel, to lay everything out there, all that God has given you for the sake of the gospel. The risk is worth it. So are you risking for the sake of the gospel? Hmm. I want to share a passage with you as we finish our time this morning, and it's from John 20. And if you've walked in at all from the north side of our campus, you've seen it painted on the wall. And it's from John chapter 20, 19 through 23. Jesus had been, uh, he had died on the cross. He had gone through the suffering and the pain of paying for the sins of the world. And the disciples were hiding in a room. And this is what it says. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them. And he said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said these things, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. In this passage, there are three really clear truths for those of us who are wondering, should I take a risk for the gospel? And that's this. First, that we have the peace of Jesus. The disciples had just watched their Savior be crucified. And the first thing Jesus says in that room is, peace be with you. That's right. Have peace. It's finished. Have peace. This good news is good, good news. Don't be afraid. You don't have to hide. Take the good news with you. They had the peace of Jesus, and then they had the purpose of Jesus. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You have this peace so that you can go wherever you have to go. 
you can do whatever you're called to do, no matter what, for the sake of the gospel. This is the purpose. And then in case they had any other fear in their hearts, Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit onto them, giving them the power, the power they needed to share that good news, to share of the ways that the Lord had changed their life. Friend, if you believe in Jesus, you have his peace. You've been given a purpose to take the mission to the world. You are sent by the Savior who was sent for you. That's right. And you have the power to do it. What will you risk for the sake of the gospel? That's good. Because it's worth it. I want to lead us in a time of prayer. We're going to enter into the Lord's Supper together, and George is going to set us up for that. We want to ask that the Holy Spirit would meet us here and, and show us what it is that we need to risk. So would you pray with me this morning? So good. Father God, it's hard to fathom that you would send your own son to redeem a people who were in rebellion against you, who had turned away from you, who had run after their own design. But God, if we trust in your son Jesus and his finished work on the cross this morning, that is our story. That we have a father who has sent his son to redeem those who had turned away in sin. So Father God, I pray that as we consider what you have done for us, I pray that we would think even more closely about the peace and the purpose and the power you have given us to take that forward. Father, we believe that the gospels come to us so that we can take it to someone else. So Lord, as you show us how we're to risk this morning, I pray that you would tear down any walls of comfort, any idols that we are worshiping. God, I pray that you would show us what we need to do, what step we need to take, and that with courage, we would know that even if we're standing on the side of a cliff, that the risk is worth it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.